we're in a series called Moving from Good to Great. Moving from Good to Great. And the title of the series is borrowed from an excellent book, leadership book by Jim Collins. Good to Great is the name of his book. Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Others Don't. And so in the first chapter of this book, Jim Collins, he writes this out. He said, good is the enemy of great. Few people attain great lives in part because it's just so easy to settle for a good life. It's so easy to just settle for less. And so my premise for the series is that many Christians are content to settle for a good Christian life. They are saved, but they never enter into the abundant, overcoming, victorious Christian life that's available to them. That's a kind of settle. And, and so one of the books I'm using a lot, you know, commentaries, as I prepare for the series, is a commentary set written by a man named Dr. Alan Redpath. And Dr. Alan Redpath said that there are two levels of Christian living. He wrote, the crossing of the Jordan, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the Jordan River. He said, the crossing of the Jordan River does not illustrate the passion of a soul into eternity, but rather it illustrates the passion of a Christian from one level of Christian living to another. It marked the end of the self-life and the beginning of the Christ life. Between these two levels of the Christian life rolls the mighty Jordan River, a river of impossibility. And so today we're going to look at chapter 3 in our study, and I'm excited this morning because we're going to talk about the Jordan River, and I just believe that there's so much practical, personal application, a personal word for every one of us here this morning. Now remember, before we get into chapter 3 here, um, 40 years previous, you know, you got Moses leading the people of Israel, you know, out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness, and they're only supposed to hang out in the wilderness for maybe two years top. You know, they're there to get the, the Ten Commandments, the, you know, God's laws. Uh, to learn, they're there to learn how to worship God, um, you know, to worship him. And so they're, they're there for two years, and now God said, okay, time to go and claim the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so they get up there, close to the border of the promised land, and, and, and they check it out, and the, and the people of Israel got scared. They became a slave to fear. They forgot that they were a child of God. They forgot that the power of God that carried them thus far would not carry them to claim the promised land, the land of Canaan. They got scared, and they, and they did not believe that God would help them. And because of that, God said, that's fine. You won't claim it because of your lack of faith. And I will have you wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And your children, when they grow up and you're all gone, I will have them and give them a chance to claim the land. And so here we are 40 years later. Everyone in that previous generation that generation had passed away except for two men, Joshua and Caleb. And today we're going to talk about Joshua. We're going to hear more about Caleb in a few weeks. You know, powerful man of God. 
But Joshua and Caleb, they are setting, they're getting ready to make the, make the move to cross over into the, the promised land. And, and the question is, at this moment, this is the major intersection point. Will they trust God? Will they trust him to do what God said he would do? And so here's the twist. The twist to the story at this point, it was at the time of the year where the Jordan River was a wild, raging, whitewater river. Now, if you were to go to the Israel today, uh, you, you would go and find the Jordan River, and it's very calm, it's very peaceful, and it's because it's all been dammed up along the way. It travels from the Sea of Galilee, and it goes down to the Dead Sea. And, and it's sort of a relaxing river. But back then, there was no dams to, to, to control the river. And, and so sometimes, in certain points of the year, the, the Jordan River would be like a little creek, maybe a few yards wide, not very deep. But then other times of the year, the river was overflowing the banks in some places about a mile wide. And so this was a dangerous, dangerous time to be looking at the river. And so when the Israelites, you know, the next generation, you know, they get to the Jordan River and they're supposed to cross this river and they look at this river and they see that it's humanly impossible to safely cross over this river. And so you have a nation that's overlooking floodwaters and they're wondering how they're going to get to the other side. And when you read in just a minute in chapter 3, you're going to see a few words that kind of, kind of pop up over and over and over again. You're going to see the word crossing over. You're going to see the word crossing. You know, and you're going to see these multiple times. And the Hebrew word for the word crossover or crossing over is one word, habar. Can y'all say that with me? Habar. Y'all so do better than that, all right? Say that with me. Habar. And it means a significant crossing over. It's a significant, major crossing over. It's not a minor one. It's not a small one. It's something you go through that once you get to the other side, once you get to the other side, you're never the same. Habar. It means significant, meaningful, important. So important that it changes your life forever. For example, you know, we've all experienced major habar moments in our lives. You know, getting married is a major crossing over. It's a major, it's a major habar moment. Now, when you cross from being single to marriage, Nothing is the same. You know, it's no longer my money. It's our money. It's no longer my bathroom, right? It's our bathroom. It's no longer my closet. It's her closet. That's how it works, right? <laughs> I, I quickly learned that what mine is hers, and what's hers is hers. That's right. Someone, someone give me an amen. I got an amen over there. All right. 
Major, hey, listen, major habal moment for me. Major habal moment. And we all experience those habal moments. You have them. You know, uh, maybe when you had your first child. Well, that is a habal moment. Huge moment. It's a huge crossing over. It changes your life. You know, uh, maybe changing careers. New jobs. Maybe a big move. Maybe you move from one state to another state. And you don't know anyone. You know, habal moments. And I'm sure that if you think, you're probably thinking of those habal moments you've experienced in your life, major significant crossing over. God also has significant spiritual crossing over in our lives. We have those. The first one, I think, is our salvation. You know, it's a crossing over from, from, spiritual, from, from spiritual darkness into spiritual light, from death to life. And once you cross over, there's no going back, and everything changes in your life. But our salvation isn't the only significant spiritual crossover that you and I will face in our lives. But we're experiencing many of them. And when you walk with God, you have lots of them. I remember when, when I was living in Florida, and, 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 and by the way, just, uh, I, I grew up here. This is home. And I, I grew up not far from here. Now I went to college in Florida, and I stayed in Florida, you know, and I work at a church in Florida. And I had a great life, doing great ministry, in a growing church. And, and, and I met my wife there at that church. And, and, and we got married, and we were... You know, we build our house. We build a house. I mean, I didn't think I could do that, you know, at such a young age. But, you know, God blessed us where we could build a home. And we thought, man, this would be our place for, for the rest of our lives. But then around 2004, 2005, God began to work in my heart. Not just my heart, it began to work in Karen's heart. And we knew that at some point God was leading us to go and start a church from nothing. And I thought, man, that's a wild idea. I mean, there are plenty of churches that got building and got people that I don't have to do that. But God was pushing us to start something from nothing. And so we were praying, and God would say, hey, listen, you're going to leave your job, and you're going to move, and you're going to go somewhere. And I didn't know where that was. I thought, well, if I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to go somewhere, you know, maybe Hawaii needs a new church, Right? You know, maybe there's an island in the, in the Caribbean that could need a new church, you know. And I know my wife would have loved that. She would have absolutely loved an island church plant, okay. And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe Colorado, you know, maybe up you know, near the mountains. I, I'm just thinking of all these places. But God kept leading us and showing us that we come back here, that I would come back here and start a church. And, and, and after a few years, you know, we, we, we started praying, and God started showing us, put our house on the market. That was, by the way, that was a major habar moment for us. That was a moment where, okay, we're doing this thing. We're putting our house on the market. We felt like at this point, there's no turning back. I went and told my, my pastor, my boss, I said, hey, I feel God leading us, and, 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 and I'm so blessed that he was able to just 
work with me and, and, and let us stay as long as we needed to until it was time to start a church, which was almost a year. You know, from the time I told him to the time we left. And then we moved. We sold our house in the, in the middle of, a, of, a, of, of a, a terrible housing market recession in 2009, early 2009. We moved up here. And then you know where we were going to live. You know, we, we, we found a place. There was a church that had an empty parsonage down at between eight and nine miles in East, East Point. And they said, hey, you can stay here for three months. We stayed there for two years, you know. And, uh, and they let us stay there for two, two and a half years until we got our feet established. And then we started a church. Karen and I, we, we put it out there. And, and I, I tell you, you know, we, we did a vision night. We thought we're going to invite 50 people to the vision night at Dave and Butters, right down, right, right down from here. Dave and Butters. At $25 a pop. I said, man, we're going to get 50 people to come. I mean, who wouldn't want to come for a free meal and free tokens to play games? I just thought, you know, it'll be fun. And so we showed up hoping we have 50 people show up. There, there were, um, you know, just to kind of understand the numbers here, there were me and my wife and my son. There was another family of four that came up from Michigan, so they were there, all right? And there was another family of two. So there were, there were nine of us already committed to this dinner. We're all working as a church planning team. So there's nine of us, and my mom and dad, they came, and then my brother, my brothers and his family came, and, and, and so that's about 15, 16 people, and then we had like maybe Two other people come after that. We didn't, we didn't have 20 people. No, nothing, you know. And, and, and I was like, where's everybody? Nobody else came. I remember going home and, and I, I curled up like a baby and put my... I said, what have I done? I crossed over and this is... The, you know, and I was reminded by God in that moment. and said, God, it's not you that's going to start the church. It's me. That's okay. A few months later, we got things going, and God started bringing people into a church. We had our official launch day in March of 2010, where we had almost 300 people show up. We give God all the glory. It was huge crossing moment, crossing moment, crossing moment for our lives. And our church, we've seen them over the years. We've seen it. In 2017, where we had a campaign to raise, you know, X amount of dollars so that we could be ready for a move of God. We were portable, a portable church that ended up tearing down at Lutheran High School North. In 2017, we raised, you know, our goal was to raise 300000 We in, in, one, in, in one year. We raised over 400000 in one year. We put that in the saving account. We didn't have a we didn't have a building blueprint. We didn't have a property. We just had a vision of, hey, we're just going to be ready for the move of God. That was 2017, 2019. God gave us another habar moment where we bought this building and this property. And the money that we had raised in 2017 was exactly what we needed to get into this building. But God had a plan all along. And God's been working all along. My question for you is this. Now, what, what is next for you? 
what's the next crossover moment in your life that God has for you? Now, one of our mission statements here at Lake Point is helping people take their next step with God. What's your next step? What is your next step for 2023? What is your next step for beyond 2023? What is, what is God moving you towards? What is God doing in your life? And I also ask the question, what, what about our church? What about Lake Point Church? What is the next step here in 2023 and beyond? And I believe, here's what I believe, that I believe that we're standing on the edge of the Jordan River. And God is inviting you, he's inviting me, and inviting us to cross over by faith and to join God and what he is doing. And for some of you, you're, you're really excited to hear this. You're like, man, I'm excited about the next step. I'm excited about what God is asking me to do. And you're ready, you're ready to go. Some of you, you're, you're, you're a little nervous. I get that. You're a little nervous. You're afraid. I mean, come on. I've been there too. You know, some, you say, oh, I don't know. It's kind of, you know, the, it, my gut aren't lined up in the road. It doesn't look like it makes sense. That's not what faith is. Faith doesn't always make sense. But we're nervous and we're a little afraid. Some others of you might be deciding whether it's a personal, whether it's a late point church crossing over. Some of you, you're deciding if it's worth the cost, if it's worth the sacrifice. And so I want today, you know, to see the lesson that God taught the Israelites. And the powerful crossover moment, the Habal moment, as they cross over the Jordan River. I want to make some application today for all of us. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. I'm not going to read all this chapter, but I'm going to read some of these verses. Verse 1, in the, the next morning, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Akia Grove and arrived at the bank of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them. Keep a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. And then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. And so in the morning, Joshua said to the priest, Pick up the Ark of the Covenant, lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. And the Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you uh, just as I was with Moses. I skip down to verse number 14. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its bank. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. 
and all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. I want to point three thoughts here, three important parts in how to move from good to great. Don't shadow for good. How to go from good to great. How to have a successful Habar crossover moment in your life. Here's the first one. First thought is this. Got to keep your eyes on God. Got to keep your eyes on God. There will be times when God will bring you to a place when you realize that moving forward isn't just going to be hard for you. In fact, it's impossible for you. And it's in those moments where God will grow your sense of desperation, a desperation for him, realizing that, hey, this is beyond me, and I can't do this on my own. And you have to choose what you're going to focus on. And in Joshua chapter 3, verse 2, and, two 3, and 4, they, 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 um, they bring them there. They, they, you know, God will lead the people to the banks of the, of the Jordan River. The Bible said that they were there for three days. See, I love that God, I love that God made them stare at this white water, this wild river, for three days. You see, their desperation while they're watching this, while they're looking at this river as they're trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to build a bridge, I'm going to swim, how, how are we going to do this? And they realized it was humanly impossible. Their desperation for God grew. God wanted them to get their eyes on him. In fact, the leaders tell them to keep their eyes, tell the people of Israel, get your eyes and focus on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the visible and tangible presence and power of God. That's what the Ark of the Covenant represents. It represents him. And so the leaders went through all the people and all the camps and said, hey, we're about to cross over. And when we cross over, just keep your eyes on the Ark. Keep your eyes on God. This is so easy for us to get our eyes off of God and to focus our eyes on our circumstances. Right? It's so easy to look at the raging waters the winds and the waves. It's so easy to focus on that and to, and to lose focus on the master of the wind, on the master of the waves. It's so easy to lose sight of him. And I think of, of, of the disciple Peter. You know, Jesus is walking on water, right? And, and, and he said, hey, come on out, Peter. And Peter gets out on the boat and he's walking on water. He's like, oh man, look at me. Wow, you know, the other guy just doing the boat. You know, Peter's walking on the water, he's walking towards Jesus. But then the Bible says that at some point and he's walking toward, walking, you know, towards Jesus down the water, he got his eyes off of him and started noticing the wind and the waves all around him. He got scared. He got afraid and started to sink. And of course, Jesus rescues him and pulls him out of the water and he said, oh, Hey, Peter, you've lost track of me. You got your eyes off of me. And, and, and Joshua said to the people, she said, hey, listen, if we're going to make it, if we're going to make it across, you've got to keep your eyes on God. You've got to keep your eyes on him. Has, has God brought you to a place where you realize that without him, 
moving forward successfully will be impossible. Are you overwhelmed with a sense of desperation for his presence and power to lead you? Now, let me ask you this. Are you willing to follow him no matter what? Even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it looks impossible. Are you willing? Are you willing to follow him? That's what, that's what God wants. In fact, that's what God demands of us, to follow him, to keep our eyes on him, no matter the situation. You see, you're going to have to decide in your life whether you're going to stay put and stay dry or take a step of faith and cross over a Jordan River in your life. Now, keep your eyes on him. That's the first ingredient. That's the second ingredient of a successful Habar crossing in your life. You gotta live out a life of holiness. You gotta live out a life of holiness. Verse five, Joshua tells the people, purify yourself. Purify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In other words, Joshua is saying, listen, you gotta get your heart right with God. You got to get your mind right with God. You got to get yourself spiritually, spiritually ready. You want to see God work tomorrow? Purify yourself today. Before they could enter the holy land, the people of God needed to be holy first. So take a note. When it, when it comes to, when it comes to God, now, if you want to be close to God, you have to come clean. You gotta have clean hands, clean hearts, clean minds. You wanna come close to Him, you wanna draw close to Him, you must come clean. Paul, he wrote this to the church in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was full of, full of problems. You know, they, 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 they weren't seeking after God. They had unholy living going on. They had a lot of issues in this church. And Paul, you know, he was going after it. And it said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything, not some things, but everything that contaminates body and spirit perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You see, now, to purify yourself, we need to understand that. To purify yourself isn't a works-based salvation. That's not what that means. It's committing yourself to a radical departure from sin and getting away from anything that contaminates your relationship with God. If you take a note, a passionate desire for God's presence. It leads to a passionate pursuit of his holiness. That's why the first, first point is about getting your eyes on him, pursuing him. A passionate desire for God's presence will lead to a passionate pursuit of his holiness. 
Now listen, God's not going to zap you and make you holy without your cooperation. You know, there's a part that you have to work on. And if you won't set apart from sin, then you won't be set apart for service for him. And here's where many of us live. Many of us, we, we, we want to keep one foot in the wilderness and, and one foot in the promised land. Y'all hear me? One foot in the church and the other foot in the world. One foot in building my kingdom and one foot in building God's kingdom. You see, listen, you're either consecrated for God completely or not. There's no halfway consecration. There's no partial purity. That's how it works. Either you're all out, you're all in. Revelation chapter 3, one of the churches called Laodicea. And, 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 and John, the apostle, is writing his word to the church of Laodicea. He said, I know your deeds, and you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, you're in the middle, got one feet in, one feet out. You're neither hot nor cold. He said, God is going to, he's about to spit you out of his mouth. He's about to vomit you out. Where are you at in this world? Where are you at with God? And it's just to purify yourself. And I love what Joshua's how it ends, that verse number five. He said, for tomorrow, the Lord will do great wonders among you. You see, God wants to move us from wonder to wonder. He wants to move from wandering in the wilderness of just a settled good life to spiritual greatness where you begin to wonder the power of God. Listen, lay point, we, we, we stand on the banks of greater fruitfulness, but it will not come without a deeper commitment to God's holiness. And if we want to do something, you know, if we want God to do something great in this church, then we're going to have to have some people who have been clean, clear through. We're going to have to have some people who knows what it is to daily claim the cleansing blood of Jesus and the power of his blood over sin in our lives. We have to have people to understand that. That's what's telling them. Get your eyes on the presence of God and get your heart committed to the holiness of God and then watch what God's going to do. Now, one thing you could be absolutely sure of if you're taking notes, if God called you to it, he will walk you through it. You know, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, you would think that God would have had the Israelites show up at the Jordan River at a better time. You would have thought that God would have just timed it a little bit better. You know, instead of showing up at the time of the year where the river is a mile wide and white waters and, and, and it's dangerous. You would have thought that he brought them to a place where it was just a creek, where it was safe. 
But God led him to the perfect place at the perfect time. Not perfect in the eyes of humans, but perfect in the eyes of God. And he was saying to the people, he said, listen, if you're going if you're gonna, you're gonna to need me in the promised land, you're going to need me, so trust me now. Trust me today. Trust me in the crossing over. Trust me that I, you would, that you would get, that I would get you in the promised land. Depend on me. Rely on me. And when you do, I will then show off my powers. I will carry you through. I will walk you through it. If God is calling you something, listen, don't be afraid. If God is bringing you to a place on the edge of the river, and he said, hey, this is the way I want you to cross. This is your hubbub moment. Make it happen. And he said, well, God, I don't know. This looks crazy. This doesn't make sense. God said, listen, if I call you to it, I will walk you through it. Which leads me to my third final thought. If you want to have a successful hubbub moment, you must get your feet wet and experience God's power in your life. You've got to get your feet wet. Joshua tells the priest to pick up the ark and to lead the people. And so you're going to see the river. It's raging. It's wild. It's crazy. But take that, take the ark and you got to get your feet wet. And when you get your feet wet, I will make a dry path. God will make a dry path across the river. And sure enough, they did. When they stepped in the water, God showed up. God showed up. God said, demonstrate that your faith is real by getting your feet wet. When you obey, God will respond. Now, we could say all day long that God wants us to be on mission, want to reach our community, want us to use it for his glory. But until we put it into action, it's just our talk. Uh, we could talk a pretty good game. But God isn't interested in talkers. He's interested in people that will walk. He's calling you and I into the Russian water. Where has God called you to step in and get your feet wet. But you've been too scared or too cautious or too busy. How has God called you to live, give, or serve beyond yourself and promise that he would supply all your needs, but he's waiting for you to step in the waters of obedience? God is calling us into the Russian water. I know some of you are confused, you're scared, concerned. But I'm telling you, when we step in by faith and we get our feet wet, we get prepared for God to rock our world. And I'll never fail you. He will always walk you through it. I, you know, when I think about Lake Point Church and, and uh, some of the things that I feel like we're on the edge of, I, th- I got some short-term goals and I've got some long-term goals. And, and, the, and to be honest with you, the short-term goals don't scare me that much. 
I mean, I'm excited about them. It's the long-term goals that scares me. It's the long-term goals that say, okay, God, where are you taking us? You know, what does that look like? Now, some of the short-term, you know, what, what, what I'm praying for in 2023, you see on your hand now, I've got it on the screen behind me. I'm praying this year for 100 salvations. I would love to see 100 people take the next step, the, you know, the crossover from light, you know, from darkness into light. You know, that's what I want to see. I want to see spiritual life, you know, happening, new spiritual life happening in, in, in our church. I want to see more baptism, 35 baptisms is what I'm praying for this year. 75 new members. We've got a membership class in a few minutes. And uh, about 25, 26 people, not everyone will join today, but, you know, it'll be a good start. And, and, and a lot of them probably say, hey, I'm ready to cross over. I'm ready to step in the water, get my feet wet. And uh, so 75 new members by the end of this year. We're praying for a 15% growth in our weekly attendance. Our budget is 925000 I'm praying that we will exceed $950,000. In a couple of weeks, we're adding a new staff member. He and his family are moving from Ohio. I'm saving them from that state to a better state. <laughs> the good news is he is a diehard Michigan fan, so there we go. She got that going for him. He's going to be serving as our executive pastor. His name is Chris Cott. And I'll be here with the very first Sunday in, in February. And really, for our church outside, we are, we are understaffed. And um, for where we're at. And he's going to bring some relief to not just me, but to our staff and really help us to take us to the next level. And to help us to carry us, you know, to help us lead us in, in ways that we're just not able to do. And so we're excited about his family coming and, uh, and being with us in a few weeks. You know, our, part of our vision is, is, is this year is to start rolling out a new discipleship pathway. We want to really help people get deeper in their walk with God. And I just follow my favorite evangelist. We've had him before, uh, Tim Lee. And, um, and it's been about six years, five, about five years, I believe, five or six years since he's come. And, and he was a Marine, stepped on a landmine in Vietnam, lost his legs, didn't even think he was going to make it alive. And God has been using his story ever since to share the gospel. And, um, and he's going to be with us. It's a high honor. He's a, uh, a chairman of the board for Liberty University, if you've heard of Liberty, and, and God has just been blessing him in so many different ways. Looking beyond 2023. We've been talking and having a discussion. I'm, I, at some point in the future, I'm going to share more of this story, but how God has just been kind of opening up the, the opportunity to see what it looks like to expand our current footprint right here. The double up our space, and to have more ministries, and to, and to grow more, and to be able to grow more to reach more people in Shelby Township. That's what scares me, is what that even looks like. But God, I'm telling you, God has shown me some things, and I just thought, wow, okay, God, I'm listening. It's bringing me a little bit closer and closer and closer to the edge, and, and, and we're not there yet. We are not there yet. There's certain things that will happen. It's just not something that's going to happen this year or next year. You know, but something that's happening, we're praying in about four or five years from now. We believe that we need to do some legwork now and not wait. And then we kind of miss the momentum. We kind of miss that wave. No one missed the wave. If you're a chauffeur, you gotta, you got to be on the front end of that. You've got to be set up and ready to go because when you catch the wave of God, 
God takes you to places where we could not do on our own. And so we're just doing some things, and I can't wait for that to happen. But let me, I'm, I'm, I know I'm over time. It's all good, though. It's all good. The takeaway is this. Where do you see yourself? Talk about you. Maybe in your marriage, in your job, maybe in your involvement at church. Where do you see yourself spiritually speaking in one year? Where do you see yourself in two years? Go further than that, maybe five years or more. Where do you see yourself? Maybe God is working some things in your life. And he wants you to claim something. You know the real tragedy of the book of Joshua? You know, don't hear sermons on this very often. You know the land that God had for the Israelites? The promised land? The land that he had promised them was 300,000 square miles. It was all theirs for the taking. In fact, God told Joshua, he said, listen, wherever you walk, it will be yours. You will claim it. And what's sad, what's sad, what you don't often hear about is that they only claimed 50,000 square miles. The other 250,000 square miles, they got nervous. Even when they seen what God had done, they didn't walk. They refused to take it because they were not walking it. And they missed out on the complete blessings that God had for them. How sad would it be if we get to heaven and we find out, you find out that God had 300,000 square miles of spiritual adventure and victory, yet we only claim 10,000, 5,000, 500. You tap into some of God's blessing. You get to have and you look. And so that could have all been mine. And God said, yeah. It's because you didn't get your feet wet. You got your eyes off of me. You got your eyes on your pocketbooks. Your eyes on your schedule. You got your eyes on your circumstances. And then you go pursue me and all the holiness of God. And you held back. Sure, you did something. You settled for good. You got some things out of it. You totally missed out. I don't know what that looks like for you this year, this week. My prayer is for you. That you get your feet wet. When you get your feet wet, you experience the power of God. You move from wandering to wonder. God, we ask you to help us today. Help all of us to move from good to great and to claim all that you want us to live, to claim all that you have for us, 
God, we got to keep our eyes on you. God, we've got to live holy lives. And we've got to get our feet wet. In Jesus' name, amen.